Our first reading for today is Judges chapter 10, verse 17, through chapter 11, verse 12. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said one to another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, What do you have against me that you have come to, yet that you have come to me to fight against my land? The second reading for today is Judges chapter 11, verses 28 through 40. But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. Then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aror to the neighborhood of Minnith, twenty cities, and as far as Abel Karamim with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months 
that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow they had made. He had never, she had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughter of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Good morning. Welcome. Uh, <clears throat> just again, uh, alert you. Starting uh, next Sunday, we will be having a morning Bible study on the parable of the sower. And I want to invite all of you uh, to that. Uh, those of you who will be involved with the uh, VBS this summer, as well as those of you going to uh, Kenya, uh, I especially uh, ask that you uh, participate uh, in that, as that will be our main uh, teaching uh, text uh, for, the <clears throat> for those um, events. Um, also, um, if you have any interest at all uh, about Kenya, today's the last Sunday. Today's really the last day that um, we're going to keep it open. So um, if the Spirit moves you to, uh, to join us, uh, please speak with me uh, before the end of the day. Uh, let's pray together. <coughs> um, Lord, we thank you again uh, for this day. And as we uh, work our way through the book of Judges, uh, as we work through some very difficult texts, uh, help us, God, to hear what it is um, that you would have us learn uh, from this time and to find ways to apply them, the lessons that uh, we can uh, learn and uh, avoid the kinds of mistakes and sin uh, that leads to destruction. And so we ask now that in the hearing of your word, you would uh, open our hearts, our minds, to know you and to know your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> so this is now the uh, fifth sermon <coughs> on the book of Judges. And uh, Jephthah is the fifth of the six major judges in the book. Um, and they all, as we've been seeing, follow this same pattern of sin, followed by suffering, and then crying out to God, then God sending a savior, and then the land having a period of rest before the cycle repeats once again. But now we're going to see these uh, breaks in the pattern of this cycle, paralleling the breaks, the uh, increasing breaks in the society. So for example, in the story of Jephthah, the people sin and suffer, they cry out to God, but instead of waiting for God to send a deliverer, this time they decide we're going to find our own deliverer. We're not going to ask God. God's going to be completely left out of the picture. And so they go and get this guy named Jephthah. And the cycle ends without any rest, not even temporary rest for the land. Our reading today includes the sacrifice of Jephthah's daughter, one of the most horrific scenes in all of scripture. It's, uh, I, there, there was an anecdote I heard about a guy who decided that he was going to read the Bible and supposedly when he got to this part of the Bible, when he read this story, he got so disgusted that he closed the Bible and never read the Bible again. 
the biblical scholar uh, Phyllis Tribble many years ago labeled this text as one of several texts of terror in the Bible. And uh, it might surprise, this is actually a very popular text uh, for artists. And I was thinking uh, just in the past few years, the theme of a father sacrificing a daughter for military gain or for his personal gain. Uh, I hope this is not a big spoiler for anybody, but you know, in Avengers we see this, right? Uh, in Game of Thrones as well. So this idea of um, sacrificing your child, a daughter, um, as, as horrible it is, you know, it's, it's a recurring theme. Uh, most preachers in their right mind uh, do not preach on this text. And so uh, I'm not sure what that says about me. Um, but I think this is a, it's, it really is a very difficult text. Um, you may never hear a sermon on this ever again in your life. Uh, so aren't you glad you're here today? <clears throat> I should say, you know, I think stories of, of violence and of evil, um, you know, in the Bible, it, it ought to sadden us. It ought to anger us. Uh, the extremes of some of the violence ought to shock us. But ultimately, they, they shouldn't really surprise us, right? Because, um, like, I know when I listen to uh, current events uh, most mornings, um, it's not much different from what's going on in Judges, right? I mean, the, the world, the things that's going on, uh, the daily uh, things that make into the news. Uh, this is what happens as a natural consequence when, when people do what they think is right, when, when God is not king. This, this is what happens. And, and Judges uh, tells us exactly that. Uh, so as for Jephthah in our reading today, uh, I think it's possible to have some sympathy for him, especially in the beginning. He had a very tough childhood. His father had uh, respect and status in the community. Uh, But his mother was not. She was not married to him. She was a prostitute. And she had no standing or legal rights within her community. Uh, And so you can imagine the kind of unhappiness and the kind of um, suffering that he and his mother would have suffered and endured. And because of that, through no fault of his his own, Jephthah would have been disqualified from worshiping in the community. He would not have been allowed to own property and he would not have any legal claims to a family inheritance. And so uh, it's it's a really tough situation for him. And not only that, the first chance his uh, brothers get, they they kick him out, they chase him out of town, they chase him out of the house. And so it's it's a terrible situation for him. And so uh, as an outcast, we discover, without any sort of uh, affiliations, resources, he somehow manages to survive. He even thrives gathering others like him uh, to him. And he becomes a kind of uh, like a gangster, maybe, uh, a local mafia boss, something like that. And without any titles or anything like that, um, he's able to get this reputation as a, as a mighty warrior. In fact, the very first thing that we are told about him is that he is a mighty warrior. This is the same title that was given to Gideon by the angel of the Lord. So, you know, th- that's high praise, a mighty warrior. So when the Ammonites are about to attack his hometown, the elders who were originally complicit in chasing him out of town, they know that he's got this reputation as a warrior. And so even though they despise him, they invite him back because he's useful for their purposes to meet the military. And so then Jephthah leverages his position uh, to gain a position 
uh, for himself as an effort to restore some of his family fortunes uh, to himself. And so they accept his terms. And instead of going to war, he first attempts diplomacy. That's, that's part of the reading uh, that was left out to save us some time. And so just as he had negotiated a position for himself in Gilead, he attempts to negotiate a peace with the Ammonites. And when that fails, he then goes to battle. And we are told very briefly that the Spirit of God was upon him and that he wins a great victory. Now, if that were it, if that was the whole story, this could be a pretty decent story, right? This is not a bad story. Here's a underdog, right? He's a scrappy guy that just uh, gets rejected by his community, but he uh, learns to fight, and at the end of the day, he comes and and saves the town. Um, That's not a terrible story. But we know that this is the time of the judges, and we know that at this point in the story of Judges, you know, we've, we're about midway through, or a little more than midway through, and, and we know enough by now that we're not going to have happy endings anymore. There are going to be no more happy endings uh, in the book of Judges. Jephthah's name actually means he opens, he opens. Uh, and he probably got that as a reference to something like maybe his mom had a difficult time with birth, and so it's, it's like saying, you know, the Lord opened the womb, and so uh, that's probably what the reference is to. But we'll see here that he opens is really a reference to him opening his mouth, that he's constantly opening his mouth to negotiate a position for himself with the elders, then in an attempt to negotiate with the enemy, and then lastly, he opens his mouth to make this terrible vow. And we hear this phrase again, right? He says, I've opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take it back. And his daughter says to him, you know, you have opened your mouth, right? You have jephthahed and you cannot jephthah it back. That's, right, there's a little play on words. So that's what's going on. And look at the vow that he makes, this promise that he tries to negotiate with God. He says, God, if you will give me the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever or whoever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me or greet me when I return in peace, it shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. That's the vow he makes. Now, on the surface, you know, you might think, oh, that's, you know, he's being very pious. You know, he's going to thank God for his victory and offer God an offering. Um, But it's not. Remember in the story of Gideon who needed reassurance after reassurance because he doubted God's word because he did not know God. So Jephthah here is doing the same thing. He does not know God. He does not trust God. And so he opens his mouth to try to negotiate to ensure his victory. He's trying to manipulate God to bind God into giving him a military victory. We know that he has some sense of the God of Israel, the history. He has some sense that the God of Israel is more powerful than the God of the Ammonites. And so he's trying to get this God on his side with a kind of bribe. You help me, and I'll give you a sacrifice. God, if you will do this for me, then I will do that for you. And this is a terrible vow to make. In the book of Genesis, for example, in the story of Jacob, remember Jacob, um, after he's cheated his brother and his father and he's lied, he's running away to uh, live with Laban, his uncle. 
And on the way, he has this incredible vision dream where he sees angels uh, going up and down this, this ladder or this stairway uh, to heaven, right? And God gives him this incredible promise. He says, you know, I'm going to bless you. You're going to get land. You're going to have children. And best of all, I will be with you. I mean, and he, right? and he knows this. But then Jacob says, if... You will bless me if you do all this. Then you, I'll let you be my God. That's a terrible vow. right? Because it, it, it means you don't trust the word that you've been given. You're not trusting God's word. You need an extra sign. You need more proof. Uh, and that's exactly what Jephthah is trying to do. He's trying to negotiate a promise that has already been uh, given. And so, this is not a God that he fears. This is not a God that he wants to worship, uh, but one that he's trying to manipulate to do him a favor. Rather than moving, remember, the the Spirit of God is upon him. Rather than sort of riding the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to work in his life, uh, he instead makes this promise to offer a burnt offering in exchange for military victory. Now, I know that none of you uh, promise or try to bribe God with a burnt offering. Um, but I know in my life, I've made similar bargains with God. I've said things like, God, if you let me pass this test, I'll study next time. <laughs> J- just let me get through this time. God, if you let Laura go out with me, I'll go to church more often. God, if you get me that job, I'll give you more offering. Right? We dangle before God our obedience in exchange for something that we want. Probably in the back of our minds, we know that that's not right, that we shouldn't do such a thing, but we make them anyway. And worse, we sometimes call these things prayer requests. Jephthah's no different. Now, I think what gets confusing is that we wrongly assume, and I think Jephthah does too, that when things go our way, that God has somehow agreed to our bargain. Because he gets the victory, he thinks, oh, God listened to my vow, and so this is the way it works. But that's not the point at all. God's Spirit helps to deliver the Israelites because God loves his people in spite of all these craziness. God delivers his people because that's what God does. Even using someone like Jephthah and the elders of Gilead. It does not mean that God approves of their actions, of their uh, manipulations. But that's how people interpret it and get the wrong ideas about God. Now, we cannot lessen the horror here. Here is a father who is willing to sacrifice someone. And in this case, it's his only daughter. Right? And it says, his only daughter, and it says it again, he had no other child. For military success, for better standing in the community, for personal gain. When he made the vow, he had to know that whatever comes out, now it, it's possible he was thinking an animal would come out of the house first. Uh, in those days, people, the animals lived uh, in, in their homes. It's possible he thought maybe a servant will come out. Um, But he must have also known that there's a possibility there are people in his family who live in his house. His daughter, maybe his wife, 
Maybe his mother. Maybe others in his life are living in that house. He must have known. St. Augustine suggested that he thought that it was going to be his wife uh, who would be coming upon his return. Now, make of that what you will. (laughs) He did it for himself without thinking about the women in his life. It's been said that hurt people hurt people. But we cannot excuse his actions. The cycle can be broken. You know, I was thinking of the, uh, another story. Uh, this, you know, in, in Les Mis, Jean Valjean, he makes a vow. And he keeps his vow, but it's a good vow. It's a vow to protect his daughter. And he doesn't do it as a bargain. He does it be- out of thankfulness, regardless of what happens to him. That's a very different and much better kind of vow. And here the story ends with Jephthah then uh, blaming his daughter for his stupidity. He says, alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You have become the cause of great trouble to me. No, she's not. You are the one who created this mess. He says, for I've opened my mouth and I cannot take back my vow. And then listen to the way she responds. She says, my father, you have opened your mouth. You have jephthahed to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. And then there's this curious line. The next verse says, So she said to him, Let this thing be done for me. I don't know if, you, if that, that seems odd to you. You see, she says something, and then it says, So she said to him. There's this extra redundant, So she said to him. Right? If you're writing a, an essay or something and you've got someone about to say something, you would say, and so-and-so said, and then you would have what they said. And then the next thing you would say is, and then Bob said in response to what was just said. But here it's the same person speaking. She says one sentence, and then, it says, and then she said, there's this extra so she said. But she's the one who's been talking. There's, there's no, it's, this is not a new speech that is being introduced here. But it's there for a very important reason. After she said her first remark, she says, um, Father, you have opened your mouth. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. After she says that, I think she's waiting for him to say, to respond, I'm sorry. I made a terrible mistake. I will fix this. I'll find a way to take back my vow or I'll take the punishment myself. I I really screwed up here. I think she's waiting to hear that. But he says nothing. And so she said, okay. And she resigns herself to her fate. I think think that's what's going on. Right? She gives him an opportunity to fix this. He's silent. And so she speaks a second time and says, be it done as you promised. Um... It's both terrible and pitiful. Now, I should let you know that there is some debate, there is ongoing debate, actually, about whether or not she was actually killed and sacrificed. Uh, Christian and Jewish interpreters, for most of our history, believe that that's what happened, that he committed child sacrifice. Uh, That's sort of the plain reading, as you heard today. But 
more recently, some people argue that she wasn't actually killed and offered up as a burnt sacrifice, but rather that she was consecrated for a lifetime of service to God. And so that their lament and their pain is not that she's going to be killed, but that she will never have children, that the family will be cut off. And so in this way, Jephthah is excused for making this rash vow and is instead commended for keeping a difficult vow. And his daughter also is commended for her willingness you know, to accept this as her fate and supporting her father. Uh, people talk about how you know, uh, for Israel, this was you know, child sacrifice was an abomination to the Lord. And that even in the time of Jesus, you wouldn't do this. Um, and others point out that one of the words uh, in the speech, in the vow that Jephthah makes, where he says, um, whatever comes out shall be the Lord, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering, uh, suggesting that whatever comes out, that that will be the offering. Uh, some people translate the word and as or, and so he's not saying I'm going to burn whatever comes out. What he's saying, though interpreted as, whatever comes out of the Lord, out of the house, if it's a person, I will dedicate that to the Lord. Or, if it's an animal or something like that, then I'll offer that up to the Lord. So there's a way of kind of um, rereading uh, that text. Now, um, I, I don't find any of that really convincing. I, I think always um, the simpler and more plain reading of the text, uh, I think always leaner is better. And I think the text leans toward him actually sacrificing. I, I don't want to take away the horror from this because remember this is the period of the judges. Uh, society is breaking down even more. There's, there's an increase in idolatry. There's a growth in this ignorance of God's word of what God has to say. And we're going to see uh, just from here on end uh, just increasing violence against women and the vulnerable. And so it seems more likely to me that Jephthah was influenced by the cultures around him of his day uh, because the nations around him practiced child sacrifice. Uh, in fact, the Israelites did as well uh, later in their history. King Manasseh, for example, burned his son as a child sacrifice. Uh, we're told that the residents of Jerusalem during the siege uh, later again in their history were offering up their children as burnt uh, offerings uh, to other gods as a way of trying to you know, get out of their desperate situation. So as horrifying as it is, it was not an uncommon act, even among the Israelites. So I, I think it's, it makes sense that he would do something, something like this. Um, so as I said, this is, this is a terrible text. Um, why would anybody preach on this? Why, how is this good news in any way? Um, let, let me make three uh, reflections on this uh, with you today. I think, first of all, you know, Jephth- Jephthah's tragedy uh, reminds me that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. The elders of the town thought that they could save themselves by hiring Jephthah. Right? They, they don't bother asking God. We can get out of our mess. And you know, Jephthah looks like he could be a good savior. I mean, you know, he's a mighty warrior. He's a mighty warrior. And to his credit, you know, when uh, the opportunity is given, he takes it. He doesn't balk like uh, Barak did with Deborah. He doesn't hide like a coward like, like Gideon. You know, he... He does what he says he's going to do. He's confident. He's, he's a competent military leader. So maybe if we just pick the right leader, you know, we don't need God. We just need the right people in the right places, and, and we can turn this thing around. Um, but such actions are ultimately self-defeating. Because unless there is some higher authority to which we can appeal to, 
Everyone ultimately will act in their own self-interest, making up whatever rules that best benefits them. The brothers used his birth to keep Jephthah away from his inheritance. The elders swallowed their pride and hired someone to get rid of a, a, a bigger threat. And Jephthah used his, this opportunity for, to restore his own fortunes. Everyone tried to get what they wanted with disregard f- for others. And Jephthah thought he could talk his way out of everything. Everyone just worked for themselves. Uh, when we fashion our own gods, when, our, when we make up our own deliverers, this is what happens. This is what happens. And yet what we find is that God is still somehow invested in the lives of his people, even when we do this. That God, even in this situation, still uses Jephthah to deliver his people. And for me, this is really the gospel lesson. Not only does this story reveal the depth of our fallenness, but it tells me that we cannot manufacture our own deliverer. We cannot make our own savior. We cannot save ourselves. History teaches this over and over and over again, that the deliverers that we create for ourselves usually end up becoming our tyrants or worse. God and God alone must provide a savior. God alone must do it. That's, you know, that seems to me the whole point of the story of the virgin birth. You know, that's, That's not a biological statement. It's a theological one. It tells us that we cannot produce. We cannot make our own Savior. God has to send us a Savior. God alone can provide the Savior for us. And so we have to realize that, that it's all God. And that any part that we have in providing assistance, providing deliverance for others, is a result of God's grace working in our lives. And it should be treated as such. Right? Because what have we done apart from God? Our very life is a gift, right? We did nothing to have life. Our very life is a gift from God. And um, maybe this is a particular temptation for, uh, for preachers, uh, maybe for parents as well, um, but this is something I have to, I've come to know very uh, deeply over the years. You know, when I first started preaching, I thought that if only I could preach well enough, if I preach just right, then people will certainly be convinced of the truth and their faith will be transformed and they will have these incredibly rich and wonderful spiritual lives. I know that not to be true now. Right? I thought others' spiritual lives depended on how well I preach and teach. It's up to me. I can save them. Of course, you know, we, we always want to do our best. But a part of me was trying to take, take some credit in saving your lives. That, of course, is utter foolishness. I know now that if I've said anything over the years that have helped you in any way to grow, it's not because of me. I know that to be absolutely true. You may wonder, why do I even bother preparing every week? Well, (laughs) But I've had so many experiences over the years now where I felt like I preached a terrible sermon, and it's precisely those times when people unexpectedly will say how helpful that sermon was. Or I've preached sermons that I thought were like, this was such a good sermon, this was so insightful, 
right? You should take notes on this one. And I see people falling asleep. I think the worst thing for me is when, I, when I'm so careful to write the perfect sentence to say something just precisely right and, they, and people just completely misheard it or misquote me. And, you know, just, it makes me so, ugh, like all that effort to write this really great sentence and it gets completely uh, misused. The favorite thing for me, though, is when people tell me that I said something that was so helpful for them and I nod and say, oh, I'm glad that helped you. But I have absolutely no memory of ever having said it. In fact, I'm almost positive I never said it. But I'm glad to take the credit where I can. Um, so I know, I know that any growth that you have in hearing the word is all God. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I know this in the, the depth of my being. Right? I cannot be your savior. We need God. We cannot save ourselves. We need the work of God in our lives. Of course, we want to do our best uh, with the gifts that we've been given to bless others, to bless God. But we cannot save anyone, and all the credit belongs to God. Second, Jephthah's tragedy tells me, again, once again, the dangers of not knowing God's word well. What I said about Gideon last week applies here as well. He made a terrible vow a terrible vow because he lacked faith. And he lacked faith because he didn't know God and because he didn't know God's word. Right? So this is a cycle. He had no faith because he didn't know God and God's word. And because he didn't know God and God's word, he didn't have faith. And so you can tell that when he's talking, he has some ideas about God. But like many people today who have some ideas, they know something about the Bible. But because they have no relationship with God, because they don't know God, they have all this sort of misunderstandings about what God is or who God is or what God wants and things like that, right? People can even, in fact, know a lot about the Bible and still not know God, have no love for God or worship God. Had Jephthah known God or God's word, he would have known that human sacrifice is absolutely forbidden. That such an act motivated by self-interest and desperation at the expense of the, the weakest members of their society is diametrically opposed to God's character, the God of life. And Jephthah's daughter too, she too apparently did not know God's word. She wasn't brought up in a home where God's word made any inroads apparently because she does not even plead for her life. She doesn't realize that this is wrong. And because they didn't know God's word, because they didn't obey God's word, they did what we, too, are very prone to do when we don't know God's word. Or when we know God's word in, you know, sort of in these little uh, pieces here and there. When we don't know all of God's word. I mean, one of the reasons I want to preach through the whole book of Judges, as much as I would have liked to have stopped a couple weeks ago, you know, is because we, we, we need to hear, try to get as much of the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God, I mean, this is one of the arguments for preaching through a lectionary because you're, you're as preachers, you know, you're forced to preach on text maybe that you don't want to, and it's an opportunity to try to try to hear all of Scripture and not just the parts that you like. You know, so when we don't know all of God's word, when we don't know God's character, and God is revealed in all of Scripture, 
you know, we, we, we shape God in a way that makes sense to our culture. And, and we, we make this mix, as Jephthah does. Right? I can remember, for example, in, in some Korean churches where I've worked, uh, hearing sermons that would focus, for example, on absolute obedience to your elders. Like, that's, that would be a sermon. Like, you have to obey your elders. That's what the Bible says. And then I would be in other churches where you would hear a sermon where, you know, Christ died for freedom, so you do whatever you want. You're an individual. You don't have to listen to your elders. Right? I've heard terrible sermons over the years defending, biblically, capitalism, as well as socialism, the Republican Party, as well as the Democratic Party, and some other parties as well. Like, don't party. As I said last week, we have to know all of God's word to flourish. We have to know God's word. To, and there's no other way. There's no other way. And some of God's word is hard, like today. It's hard. Had he known God's word better, had he known God better, he would have known that human sacrifice is forbidden, and he would have also known that a vow can be broken. Right? When we make vows, they should be taken very seriously. When we vow to help raise children, uh, when we do baptism, I mean, that's a serious vow. When people get married and they say, I do, you know, to, to stand with you, for better or for worse, to the end, like, that's a serious vow. We should take those vows seriously. Right? They should mean something. But we also know that when we make these vows, we're also prone to making very rash decisions. And God knows that sometimes, because we're sinners, and because we live in a sinful world, that sometimes we cannot keep our vows. And so the law made provision. God made provision so that the law, so that the vow poorly made could be broken. Had Jephthah or his daughter known the law or God better, they would have known that just because he said this vow, that didn't mean that he necessarily had to keep it. Not to say that vows are not you know, important, but that there was a way out of this and so we see here now this, this tragic consequence of not knowing God's word fully. Right? Maybe he knew you're supposed to make a vow and you've got to keep it no matter what. But he didn't know about the part where it says, you know, if you make a vow, there's a way to redeem that vow if you have to break it. Third, and maybe this is a thing for us to take home today. Um, I think Jephthah's tragedy for me reminds me once again the importance of having a faith community around you. Maybe when you heard the story of Jephthah sacrificing his daughter, you thought of the story of Abraham and Isaac. Remember? He had to go and he had to sacrifice his son. And so maybe you wonder, like, well, why didn't God intervene in this story? Why doesn't God save Jephthah's daughter the way he saved Isaac? Well, it's, it's not a fair comparison. Because in Abraham's case, God is the one who called Abraham to make that sacrifice. It wasn't something that Abraham decided to do and God had to intervene. And in Jephthah's case, he had other things around him potentially that could have saved him. A better parallel is not the story of Abraham and Isaac, but the story of Saul and Jonathan. 
In 1 Samuel 14, the Israelites are fighting the Philistines, and God is giving them a great victory. And as they're chasing down the enemy, King Saul stupidly makes a stupid vow. He tells his army, who who are chasing the enemy, if anybody eats before the night, they shall die. Right? So the army hears all this. Nobody eat until we wipe out the enemies chasing them down. His son, Jonathan, didn't hear his dad take this vow. And so he's chasing down the enemies. He's bringing about this great victory. And he sees some honey. And he just, you know, oh, oh man. And he gets re-energized and he's like killing even better, right? He's, that's what he does, right? And then when people nearby see him eating this honey, they tell him, you know, you're going to die. Your dad just made this vow that whoever eats is going to die, right? And, and Jonathan basically says, what a dumb vow, <laughs> He says, look at me. I just ate some honey. Look how much stronger I feel. Like if, if, if the whole army ate, we could have totally wiped out the Philistines. But instead, because we're so weak from starvation, because of this stupid vow, we only got to you know, chase down a few of our enemies. Well, after the battle, Saul finds out that his son ate the honey and says, I got to keep my vow. Jonathan, he says, you shall surely die. He wants to keep his vow, just like Jephthah, despite the cost of his child's life. But you know what happens in that story? Something very different happens. God doesn't intervene with an angel. The people intervene. The people say to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives... There shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Isn't that a great word? The people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. The people used some basic common sense. They understood the word of the God that you could ransom a life, and they opposed even the power of the king to save his life. In Jephthah's story, we should ask, where is everyone? Where is his wife? Where is the mother? Why is no one protesting this horrific act? Because no one knows God's word. And because they have not surrounded themselves with a community of people who know God and God's word. That's the problem. He was stuck with his foolishness because there was no one who had the common sense, who knew God's word, and who were brave enough to stand up to him. Someone should have said to him, it's okay to break your terrible vow. God's word gives you permission. In fact, God's word demands it because the life of your daughter is far more precious than the vow that you have taken. This whole tragedy could have been averted if he had known God's word, if his daughter had known God's word, or if there was somebody around, a community that could have spoken that truth into his life. 
I think it tells me that in times of chaos, especially in times of chaos, we need to know God's word even more and have people in our lives to surround ourselves with people who know God's word. I think that's one of the reasons God gave us a church. It's not the best idea that God had, you know, you can make that argument. But it's the best protection that we have against harming ourselves and harming others and being led or leading others astray. It's not perfect, but it's what's been given to us. And I think this is our task. This is our responsibility to speak the truth, God's truth, in love to one another so that this kind of atrocity can never happen again in the name of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for um, who you are. Uh, We thank you for all your words, uh, even the hard words. And as we have heard described today, a world in chaos, a world that is in chaos because they did not listen to your word. God, help us to be a people who love your word, all of your word, even the difficult ones. To surround ourselves with a people who know and love you and love your word. That we may live in accordance with the right way, the good way, the way of life, the way that you have set for us to flourish so that all that we do is done in the name of love and of life. That our lives may then shine your truth, bring glory to your name. That we may avoid the kind of mistakes that Jephthah and others have made. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.